services and sometimes I don't, and doing the offering in the dark probably wasn't one of my best ideas. So uh, apologize for that. Thank you, uh, ushers, for <laughs> navigating through that. Pastor Michael is away today. He is uh, enjoying time with his family at a family reunion on Valerie's side. So we are excited that we can uh, send him off with blessing and full confidence in who he has uh, here to just take his place. <laughs> Great invitations. A few weeks ago, I was working in the nursery, and Jaden Alsom said to me, Do you want to come to my house for my birthday? Now that is a great invitation. In fact, it's one of the best invitations I've had all summer. A cute boy asked me to hang out. <laughs> Pretty amazing. But have you ever noticed how apt kids are to offering invitations? Do you want to play with me? Can you watch me? Will we let so-and-so come over to our house? Can we go to the park? It's endless. They love to offer invitations. And the reason why? Because they're smart. They know that everything is better together. So when Michael invited me to teach today, another great invitation, I was totally stoked about the theme and the big idea. Then I actually read the scripture passage. I was tempted to invite Aaron to switch Sundays with me. <laughs> Let me set the scene for 2 Samuel 15. Now Absalom, David's own son, begins to grow in power. He gets 50 men and a chariot with horses. Early in the morning, he regularly goes out and stands beside the palace gate. He visits with the people who are there to meet the king and tell them about their problems. Absalom reassures the people about the justness of their suits, but he tells them that no one is appointed to listen to them. If he was judge, however, he says, he would be able to help them. He kisses all the people who come to him and steals the hearts of the people of Israel. After four years in Jerusalem, Absalom asks David if he can go to Hebron. David gives him permission, but when Absalom goes there, he sends out secret messengers to announce that Absalom has become the new king of Israel in Hebron. Absalom brings 200 unwitting people with him, and he gets David's counselor, Ahithophel, to go with him as well. His rebellious conspiracy grows in power, and Absalom's following keeps increasing. This brings us to verse 13. A messenger came and told David, the hearts of the people of Israel are with Absalom. Then David said to all of his officials who were with him in Jerusalem, come. We must flee, or none of us will escape from Absalom. We must leave immediately, or he will move quickly to overtake us and bring us to ruin and put the city to the sword. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. This is what you want me to teach on, Michael. Not such a great invitation anymore. This is a terrible story. Absolutely terrible. At this point in the Bible, David's life complete mess. He's committed adultery with Bathsheba, and then he killed her husband. On the heels of that, he lived many months like a hypocrite. And as a result of all of this, he lost his baby, and he was watching his whole world crumble before him. He was full of guilt, according to Psalm 32 and 51. Anger, bitterness, guilt, incest, rape, murder, and rebellion 
were all evident in his household. And then it culminates in his own son leading a conspiracy against him. Politically speaking, David had lost the respect and the authority as a leader. Personally, domestically, and politically, David is hurting. And now, the ultimate betrayal is about to occur. His own son staged a coup to steal the throne. Little by little, his own flesh and blood is undermining his reputation and building his own kingdom. What could possibly be redeeming about this tale of woe? The truth of Proverbs 18.24 soon becomes evident in the text. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. There are real friends in this world who will stick closer to you than family. Now, your family can determine the direction, but ultimately, your friends will help you discover your destiny. More likely than not, your destiny is revealed through the great invitations of others. There are two friends here today that extended invitations to me, which literally changed the entire course of my life. The whole trajectory of my life was changed by two invitations from two friends sitting here today. In 1999, Anne asked me to come to Estes Park. A great invitation. A couple years later, Don invited me to work full-time at the store. A great invitation. Without those two seemingly simple invitations, my life would be completely different. I wouldn't be here standing talking to you today. I wouldn't call all you friends. Two simple invitations, an entire life changed. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines an invitation as a written or verbal request inviting you to go somewhere or do something. At this crucial time in David's life, it is the great invitations of a close, few close friends that makes all the difference. These men are going somewhere, and they're doing something. So let's jump back to verse 15. The king's officials answered him, Your servants are ready to do whatever our lord the king chooses. Then the king said to Ittai the Gittite, love that name. It's awesome, Ittai the Gittite. Why should you come along with us? Go back and stay with King Absalom. You are a foreigner, an exile from your homeland. You came only yesterday, and today shall I make you wander about with us when I don't even know where I'm going? Go back. Take your people with you. May the Lord show you kindness and faithfulness. But Ittai replied to the king, As surely as the Lord, Yahweh, the God Almighty, lives, and as my Lord the king lives, wherever my Lord the king may be, whether it means life or death, there your servant will be. Now that's a friend. Ittai's love and loyalty is obvious. In my opinion, the best invitations in life are not asked as questions, but as declarations. They're given as declarations. Ittai says to the king, let's do life together. Think of the boldness of this statement. A Gittite, a man from Gath. Remember Gath, home of Goliath? He's not the same nationality or heritage as David. It was a loyal friendship forged in the face of great opposition. When David's own family had forsaken him, a true friend walks up and says, I will not leave you. We will walk 
this road together. So have you ever had a friend that invited you to do life together? I could tell you numerous stories of friends that have offered me these glorious invitations. And as you know, I love stories. So today I have put myself on a story ban. Yes, I'm on a story ban. I am only permitted to tell you about one such friend. Dave Frerichs was one of my best friends in high school. In high school and still to this day, I admire Dave as one of the most incredible people whom I've had the privilege of knowing. Though there are a thousand strong adjectives and characteristics that I could use to describe him, the, the one that best captures who he is is that of integrity. Dave had integrity in all that he did. I watched him excel at everything he attempted while simultaneously exhibiting humility and exuding kindness. I marveled at this rare creature who seemed to defy the definition of a typical high school guy. During my senior year of high school, I traveled to a journalism convention in St. Louis. The leaders of the journalism class, as well as our teacher, went to St. Louis with such great anticipation and camaraderie. It was by far the most enjoyable class trip of my school days. Though I will never forget the fond memories from that excursion, it was one particular event that would alter the way I saw the world. While in St. Louis, Dave and I decided to take our lunch break together one day. I remember walking out the doors so excited that I got to have lunch with Dave. It was going to be great. Walking down the street, we were chatting about all of our newfound knowledge and everything we gleaned from the morning session. Yes, we were dorks. And, and we were just having a wonderful time. And a homeless man approached us. The black man was weathered from both time and trials. His hair was cut short, his eyes white like pearls, and his hands showed the wear of life. He was neither skinny nor stout. His clothes looked as tired as his body. He politely asked Dave and I if we had any spare change. What Dave did next changed my view of the world. He turned to the man with all sincerity and grace and attention. He confidently and quietly said, what is your name, sir? The man responded, Joseph Graves. Dave proceeded to say, well, Joseph Graves, we don't have any spare change to give you, but we would love to take you to lunch. My friend Jamie and I are going to McDonald's. Won't you please join us? I stood there bewildered. Who does this? What 17-year-old boy does this? Dave. Rather than reject him, Dave reached out. He addressed him with honor. He dignified him with respect. And he blessed him with acceptance. Most importantly, he invited him to do life with us, even if only for an hour. Joseph immediately and enthusiastically accepted the invitation. The three of us walked to McDonald's like old friends. Dave found a quiet spot in the restaurant where we could talk. He told Joseph he could order anything he wanted. During lunch, we learned the story of Joseph Graves' life. We heard the story of loss, loss of a job, loss of a home, loss of family. There was an air of utter disbelief in the situation that this man found himself in as he recounted one bad experience after another. It was a series of mishaps, I thought, that led to this condition. One bad decision snowballing. Any one of us could end up in the same situation 
given that set of circumstances. Dave asked a myriad of thoughtful questions, and he never turned the conversation away from Joseph. Before leaving, Dave asked Joseph his beliefs on God, and Dave briefly shared his faith, and then he gave Joseph the best gift of all, the gift of hope. He asked Joseph for permission to pray for him. The day I met Joseph Graves transformed me. I learned that real love comes without condition or expectation. And real love, friends, real love always extends invitations. Dave spent years inviting me to do life with him. He spent years inviting me to know his God. And today I do. My heroes in life are the Ittais, are the Daves, are the Pete Davidsons whose invitations to do life together make an eternal impact. But Ittai wasn't the only true friend of David at this time of despair. The story continues in verse 22. David said to Ittai, go ahead, march on. So Ittai the Gittite marched on with all of his men and the families that were with them. The whole countryside wept aloud as all the people passed by. This is heartbreaking when you think about what they're going through. The king also crossed the Kidron Valley, and all the people moved toward the wilderness. Zadok was there too, and all the Levites who were with him were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of God. They set down the Ark of God, and Abathar offered sacrifices until all of the people had finished leaving the city. Then the king said to Zadok, Take the ark of God back to the city. If I find favor in the Lord's eyes, he will bring me back and let me see it in his dwelling place again. That's David's faith. Never, never wavered. So Zadok and Abathar took the ark of God back to Jerusalem and stayed there. In the midst of turmoil, Zadok and Abathar can be counted on to do exactly what David asked of them. They had already committed to David. Their hearts were with the king. But he said to them, go back. You're needed there. So out of respect, that's exactly what they did. No arguments, no resistance, no discussion even. They were there to help David no matter what. If it meant going back, so be it. Raymond Brown writes that their duty at this moment was to obey the king's instructions and to trust his wisdom. It meant that if they were going back, they may be going into a life of hardship, insecurity, suffering, and possibly death. Just like the definition of an invitation, these friends went somewhere with David and they did something for him. Jesus himself is the great inviter. The scriptures are full of invitations addressed to you and to me. The first invitation is to know him. Every week, Pastor Michael stands up here and he asks, do you know him? And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him come and take the water of life freely. Revelation twenty two seventeen. The invitation is clear. Come and find fullness of life in him. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus said, Come to me, all who, you, who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Christ invites us to rest in him. In John 15, 4, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. Christ invites us to abide, to live in him. One of my favorite words in the English language is come. I say it all, come, come, come with me, come, come. It's an implicit invitation. Over and over, the Bible is full of the beautiful invitation to come. 
six months after I left the Jehovah's Witnesses and became a Christian, Dave extended another life-changing come-with-me invitation. He invited me to attend the Passion Conference with him in Memphis, Tennessee. It was incredible. If you're not familiar with Passion, it is a ministry for college students whose heartbeat is Isaiah 26, 8. Yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you. For your name and your renown are the desire of our souls. Passion's mission is God's glory. And God is most glorified in us when we live lives that are fully satisfied in him. One of the many powerful messages I heard at Passion has never left me. John Piper delivered one of the greatest invitations I have ever heard. His words penetrated deep into me and moved many of the 40,000 college students sitting at Shelby Farms nearly two decades ago. Please turn your attention to the screens. You don't have to know a lot of things in order to make a huge difference for the Lord in the world. But you do need to know a few things that are great and be willing to live for them and die for them. People that make a difference in the world are not people who have mastered a lot of things. They are people who have been mastered by a very few things that are very, very great. If you want your life to count, you don't have to have a high IQ and you don't have to have a high EQ. You don't have to be smart, you don't have to have good looks, you don't have to be from a good family or from a good school. You just have to know a few basic, simple, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them, which is why anybody in this crowd can make a worldwide difference, because it isn't you. It's what you're gripped with. But one of the really sad things about this moment right now is that there are hundreds of you in this crowd who do not want your life to make a difference. All you want is to be liked. Maybe finish school, get a good job, find a husband or a wife, a nice house, a nice car, long weekends, good vacations, grow old healthy, have a fun retirement, die easy, no hell, and that's all you want. You don't give a rip whether your life counts on this earth for eternity. And that's a tragedy in the making. 
That is a tragedy in the making. About three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Eliason, over 80, single all her life, a nurse, poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, a medical doctor in the Twin Cities, and then in retirement, partnering up with Ruby, also pushing 80, and going from village to village in Cameroon. And the brakes give way, over a cliff they go, and they're dead instantly. And I asked my people, is this a tragedy? Two women in their 80s, almost, a, a whole life devoted to one idea, Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And 20 years after most of their American counterparts had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, fly into eternity with a death in a moment. Is this a tragedy, I asked? It is not a tragedy. I'll read you what a tragedy is. I've got a little article here from Reader's Digest. You don't read Reader's Digest, I know that. But there is a generation who does. This is a tragedy. Title of the article, Start Now, Retire Early, February 1998. Bob and Penny took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago when he was 59 and she was 51. Now they live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, play softball, and collect shells. That's a tragedy. That's a tragedy, and there are people in this country that are spending billions of dollars to get you to buy it. And I get 40 minutes to plead with you, don't buy it. With all my heart, I plead with you, don't buy that dream. The American dream. A nice house, a nice car, a nice job, a nice family, a nice retirement, collecting shells. 
as the last chapter before you stand before the creator of the universe to give an account with what you did. Here it is, Lord, my shell collection. Look, Lord, my shell collection. And I've got a good swing. And look at my boat. God, look at my boat, God. Well, not for Ruby and not for Laura. Don't waste your life. Don't waste it. So the question is good versus the goal. That's the question. Graduating from college, it's good, but it's not the goal. Getting married, having kids, it's good. It's not the goal. Having a nice house, being able to retire, it's good. But it's not the goal. He's the goal. Knowing him is the goal. Living for him is the goal. That's the goal. Some of my teammates are here. They're young people. They're fantastic. Fantastic kids. And their lives are making a difference. Don't ever let anyone tell you you're too young to make a difference. Haven, you're not too young to make a difference. Courtney, you're not too young to make a difference. Creed, not too young to make a difference. Adrian, you're not too young to make a difference. And conversely, I won't call your names because I'm nicer than that. You're not too old to make a difference. <laughs> you're not too old to make a difference. We cannot waste our lives, guys. We have this church that is a vehicle to make a difference. We have jobs, we have families, we have careers, we have volunteer organizations. Steve, what you're doing in this community is fantastic. We cannot waste our lives. So I ask you, who's going to join me in accepting perhaps the greatest of all Christ's invitations? Come. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Notice it. Let's go somewhere doing life together. Follow me, he says, and let's do something. Become fishers of men. Christ is inviting us to make an eternal difference in this world. We have endless opportunities in this town. God has said that the harvest is ripe, but the laborers are few. We need Ittai's. We need Zadok's and Abathar's. We need Dave's and Ruby's and Laura's. We desperately need men and women, boys and girls, who are going to stand up and refuse to spend their lives collecting shells. But instead, take up a pole and become fishers of men. This is the choice before us. Each one of us has to make it. I made it that day, almost 20 years ago, sitting in that crowd with 40,000 of my contemporaries, listening to John Piper. I made the decision. 
I'm not going to waste my life. For those of you who tell me how dark the bags are under my eyes, I'm completely aware of it. No amount of makeup can cover it. Yes, my body feels like I'm run over by a truck some days, but I believe in something bigger than me. I'm going to run this race the entire time. I'm not going to walk the last mile. And I know there's lots of you in this crowd today who want to do the same thing. So whether it's Joseph Graves or King David, we are called to be friends that make a difference. More than fame and fortune and even a family, my soul longs to be a friend that forever changes lives. So the question today is, who wants to go fishing?